We continue our study through the book of Genesis. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, when we began Genesis chapter 3, the question of the whole chapter is, is God good? Right? He created everything and God said that it was all good. And now the big question is, is God himself good? And the last time we looked at, is God good in what he commands and in what he forbids? And then this week, we're going to see, is God good in judging our sin? Is God good in dealing with our sin? That's the root issue of our text today. Now, after God's creation of all things, everything was good. And there was this statement made in Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But as we saw last time, the serpent deceived the woman and both the man and his wife ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we read this statement in Genesis 3.7, which begins our text today. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. What changed? The man and his bride were now aware of evil. Previously, they were innocent and their view of the world was pure. It was harmless. Now, as they look out at the world and one another, they do so with an awareness of evil. They no longer see things innocently. They realize the possibility and perhaps desire to use one another for selfish purposes. They realize that they can take advantage of others and also that they can be taken advantage of by others. There are possibilities of abusing God's good creation for personal gain instead of God's good purposes. Titus 1.15 reflects this. It says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. The first man and woman now know evil. They are overwhelmed by it and they are ashamed. A world that was once nothing but beauty is now spoiled. God's image bearers have misrepresented him. They have sinned. They fear God's judgment of death. John? Could you give me a drink, please? What will happen? Last time we saw that God is good in what he commands and forbids. But is God good in dealing with sin? And this morning, I want you to know that God is good in dealing with our sin by providing salvation through judgment. But first, we need to see that we ourselves are terrible at dealing with sin. As we read the account of uh, Adam and Eve covering up their sin and that type of thing, we do the same things in our day. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. We'll read through verse 13. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden In the cool of the day, 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, <clears throat> but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, here we have you in the singular. If you recall, two weeks ago, I gave you the ESV Texas edition because of the plural y'alls that we had in there. But this is not a plural, <coughs> plural y'all. This is a you. So <coughs> he has commanded Adam not to eat. Verse 12. The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, the man and the woman's response to their sin hasn't changed one bit from how we respond to our sin. We respond in the same way they did. We are terrible at dealing with sin. First, it says they sewed fig leaves together. They try to cover up their sin. We try to fix our sin ourselves. Now, if we recall the story of David and Bathsheba, we see some similar things. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, David tried to cover his sin by calling home Uriah, her husband. And his hope was that as Uriah was home from the battlefield, he would sleep with his wife. Naturally, they would expect that she became pregnant from him. Right. So trying to cover it up. Now, what happened was Uriah came home and he says, I'm not going to sleep with my wife while my brothers are on the on the battlefield. And so he, he refused to sleep with his wife. And so David's attempt at hiding his sin was thwarted. So then we go to the second thing. They tried to cover up their sin. Then it says they hid themselves. We try to hide from the consequences of our sin. Or we try to control the consequences. We try to minimize the consequences of our sin. When Uriah wouldn't sleep with his wife, David had him murdered on the battlefield. Now he's gone. And then perhaps I can take Bathsheba to be my wife and it'll happen soon enough. And people may have some questions, but we'll hide and we'll cover the consequences. But two wrongs don't make a right. Adam and Eve hid themselves. We try to hide from the con consequences or we try to control the consequences. Then thirdly, it says uh, we're told that they made excuses and blamed others. Here's here's the woman blames the serpent and then the man blames the woman and God. He says the woman whom you gave me. Right. So he's blaming both. They blame. They place the blame. They make excuses. Oh, how we like to blame others for our sin. They provoked me. They made me. And today we blame God by saying things like this. That's how God made me. Or I was born this way. That's just me. And I've always had a temper, you know. It's always funny how different people groups talk about their temper. 
Oh, there's got that old Irish temper, or that Mexican temper, or that Asian temper. Like everybody's got temper, right? We like to blame God by saying we were made that way, or we like to blame our circumstances. But who is the God of our circumstances? God is. Blaming our circumstances for our sin is a roundabout way of blaming God. Your reaction to your circumstances are your responsibility. And I put there on your handout, your true repentance confesses sin and trusts the consequences to God. True repentance confesses the sin and trusts the consequences to God. Pastor Tad likes to say, you didn't follow Jesus into your sin, but you can follow him out of your sin. We are terrible at dealing with our sin. The Lord God wants us to confess our sin and leave the consequences to him. Why? Because God is good. And God is good at dealing with our sin and he is fair and he is just. And God deals with sin by providing salvation through judgment. One person has said that is the theme of the whole Bible. God's glory in salvation through judgment. So next we look at, beginning in verse 14, how God sets new conditions for life as a result of sin. Things are going to be different. And he starts by judging the serpent. And we see first the humiliation of the serpent. Look at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You see, the serpent who desired to exalt himself as the ruler of humanity. See, we were told he was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now he's lower than any other beast of the field. He's going to be extremely humbled, given less status than the least of the animal kingdom, who themselves are below humanity. As humanity, then, is given dominion over the beast in Genesis 1.21, they will now one day have dominion over the spiritual realm. And we don't have time to look at it, but we find that in Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 22, and then also 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and 3. But... God humbles the serpent, but then he gives this little promise of salvation through the judgment of the serpent. Look at Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a battle here between the offspring or the seed of the serpent And the seed of the woman. And it's going to continue until a particular child, the promised child, comes. So there's going to be a battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman that will continue until a particular child comes. The serpent, as the misleading voice of temptation to the woman, will be dealt a fatal blow by the seed of the woman that he misled. Now, who is this promised offspring? Who is this promised seed? Well, it's Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah prophesied of a virgin giving birth, a woman begetting a child without the aid of a man. Matthew 1, verses 21 to 23, refer to that. As an angel tells Joseph that Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 say this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 say this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, when will this final crushing of the head of Satan occur? It's Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So at the end, Satan will be destroyed. But until that day, the battle between Satan's offspring and God's children continues. And it continues through us. Paul told the believers in Romans 16:20, "The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you." You see, beloved, Satan thought he had won a great victory at the cross. And it's why Easter is such a wonderful thing. Because in the greatest plot twist in history, Christ rose from the dead. Satan thought he had victory. But really, he had just bruised the heel of the Savior, who was resurrected to reign over his body, the church, until such a time as he will return and crush the head of Satan. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I urge you today, repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is the King. He is the one to follow with your life. We do a lousy job of being the rulers of our life. We do a lousy job of dealing with sin. Turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. Let God deal with your sin through Jesus Christ, the judgment that came upon him. You see, God is good in dealing with sin by providing salvation through judgment. But now we see, starting in verse 16, how God provides hope in just consequences for the sinner. There are consequences, but they are just consequences. First, to the woman. It says in verse 16, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I'm going to read to you a a kind of a lengthy quote from uh, K.A. Matthews uh, in the New American Commentary. But I think it's just good the way he stated it about these penalties. It says, unlike the penalties announced against the serpent and the man, 
There is no occurrence of curse related to the woman's suffering. Moreover, there is no cause specified for her suffering. And we see that because when he addresses the serpent, he says, because you. And when he addresses Adam, he says, because you. But he doesn't do that here with Eve. There's no cause for her suffering, whereas the serpent is charged with deception and the man with eating disobediently. This is due to the woman's culpability through deception, in contrast with the willful rebellion of the serpent and man. Also, God's oracle has a gentler word for the woman since her punishment entails the salvation of the human couple. Whereas the man's actions condemned the human family, Eve will play the critical role in liberating them from sin's consequences. This is realized in part since the woman gives birth to new life. But verse 15 indicates that the final conflict will also be humanity's victory by virtue of the woman's role as childbearer. You see, God told them in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely what? Has Eve had any children at this point? No. So the fact that she's going to have difficulty in childbearing, there is hope and it's coming through her. One of her children is going to be the seed that brings salvation. So now just some observations about this uh, passage. God's blessing command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in Genesis 1:28. His blessing cannot be revoked, but it's now going to be painful Okay, so the fruitful part of having children is now going to be painful. <clears throat> Death will not be immediate. Life will continue through children, but it will be difficult. The promised seed will come, but only through difficulty. There's pain in childbearing. There's, we're going to see pain in uh, inability to have a child, right? With Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel. We see it throughout the line. There's infertility. The woman here is told that her desire shall be contrary. That's another phrase that's used in Genesis 4, 7 regarding sin's desire to control Cain. And so we get from that then is that her desire will be to control her husband or to manipulate her husband. But he will rule over her. So manipulation by the wife, domination by the husband. Doesn't that sound like the ideal marriage? It's not. It's not. That's why we're told in Ephesians that the spirit led wife will respectfully submit to her husband's leadership and the spirit led husband will sacrificially love his weaker wife. The Christian spouse's. To minimize and neutralize the effects of the fall by the spirit empowered, respectful submission of the wife and the sacrificial love of the husband. Okay, so manipulation and domination, those aren't good traits. They're results of the fall. So conflict between the husband and wife and pain and childbirth are all pointing To the fact that this present world will not be like Eden. Relationships will be difficult. Ultimate fulfillment will not be found in relationships with others. I see families sometimes 
Sometimes husbands or wives will get bound up in their relationship with their spouse and everything is about them and all their happiness is derived from their spouse instead of God. And then sometimes when it's not the spouse, it's bound up in the children. It's almost like the parents worship the children and they do everything for the child and they're so attached to the child. And then then at some point, the child needs to leave the home and it becomes difficult. You see, relationships are not going to substitute for God. They're just not. This world is not the ultimate. But now God addresses the man. He provides hope in just consequences for the sinning man. Look at verses 17 through 19. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. (coughs) By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Because the man and the woman have God's blessing, they cannot be cursed. So instead, the earth is cursed. This present world will not be like Eden. God's blessing command to subdue the earth and have dominion will now be difficult. The never-ending Sabbath day will not be enjoyed in this life. The man will return to the earth from which he was taken. The eternal Sabbath rest will require a resurrection. The man who should have intervened to prevent his wife from partaking has no excuse. It will be up to the coming seed of the woman to intervene for mankind and crush the head of the serpent. (coughs) Now, we see here, I hope you can see that God's judgments are fair and just. Each one's sin is dealt with by making that sin part of the judgment. Satan will be crushed by one of the humans that he ruined. The humans sinned by eating, and now it will be difficult to eat. God is good in dealing with sin. He is fair. But he also deals with sin by providing salvation through judgment. Now I want you to see what happens in the meantime. Because the man and the woman are still awaiting this day of eternal rest. Eternal Sabbath. What will happen in the period between the fall and the promise of a serpent crushing child? Well, God provides three things until Christ the substitute. First of all, God provides hope through children leading to the child. Genesis 3.20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Here we have... Some faith expressed by Adam. Because she was previously just called woman, Isha. Because she was taken out of Ish, man. Out of man was her name. Now, she's the hope. She's the mother of all living. Somehow, some way, through this woman, I'm going to now call her Eve, the mother of all living. God provides hope through children leading to the child. But next, God provides covering credit until Christ the substitute. Covering credit. 
Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God here provides a substitutionary covering until the seed of the woman comes to provide a substitutionary atonement. God provides a substitutionary covering until the seed of the woman comes to provide a substitutionary atonement. Sin cannot be covered by our efforts. Sin cannot be hidden from God. Sin cannot be excused. Sin results in death. Only God can expiate sin on our behalf. So God provides an innocent animal substitute for credit to cover believers until Christ the substitute comes. And you can read more about that in Romans three twenty three through 26. We don't have time to look at it now, but basically it talks about God passing over the sins of the past. In other words, these sacrifices and the faith in these sacrifices was basically credit. Like you get a credit card and you start buying things, and then what happens at the end of the month? The bill comes due, right? Well, the bill came due on the cross, and Christ paid it all. Jesus paid it all, the hymn goes. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So God provides covering credit until Christ the substitute comes and pays off the balance. Then the third thing God provides is he provides protection from eternal fallenness via exile. Protection from eternal fallenness via exile. Look at verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim. And a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here we see God's goodness in death. And remember I told you that, that the way to God is to go west. right? And so east in the Bible, the further east we go, the worse things typically get. And so now Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And at the east end of the garden... Cherubim are set up. Now, in the temple, when it was built, the veil that covered the entrance to the Holy of Holies had cherubim drawn into it or weaved into it, okay, representing what we see here happening, guarding the way to God. And then, of course, when Christ was on the cross, what happened to the old veil? Ripped from top to bottom. The way to God was made open by the death of Jesus Christ. Here we see God's goodness in death because our fallen state is not forever. As much as I don't like getting old, I'm also glad that this life is not all there is. I look forward to that day when I get a new body that doesn't have this desire for sin. I don't have to fight with it anymore. I don't have to wrestle against this sin nature. And that I can, I can 
be given a new body that doesn't have these desires, and, I, and, and it'll be good. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21 say this. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. I look forward to that new body, but until then I'm constantly reminded that I live in a sin-riddled world. And God cuts off access to the tree of life so that Adam and Eve don't partake of it in their sinful state and live forever in a fallen world. So God has dealt with Adam and Eve's sin. And we have here Adam and Eve beginning their life in exile from Eden. Their sins are covered by an innocent substitute. They've been clothed upon with that innocent substitute's fur. When we place our faith in Christ, what does God do? He clothes us in Christ's righteousness. So they begin their life in exile. Their sins are covered. They're awaiting the promised offspring that brings final victory, facing certain death, but with the hope of an eternal rest in the future. We, too, live in this time of exile, but we live in what are called in the Bible the last days. It's this time between the cross and the return of Christ, the last days. Still in exile, like exile began with Adam and Eve and doesn't stop until the new creation, but we live after the cross, what's called the last days. Beloved, do you believe that God is good even when he judges our sin? God is good in dealing with our sin. He's just and he's fair. He provides hope for today. He provides Christ as our substitute. And he provides a future eternal rest that won't be riddled with sin. What about you today, though, Christian? Is there some sin that you've been trying to cover up? Have you been hiding from God? Trying to escape the consequences of your sin, manipulating things like Adam and Eve, like David? Are you making excuses for your sin to the point that you think you're justified in your sin? Oh, beloved, please, please, don't try to deal with your sin on your own. We are terrible at it. And look, I speak from experience. I don't stand up here as a perfect person. Don't try to deal with your sin on your own. You'll make a terrible wreck of it. Repent of your sin, confess it to God, and trust Christ to save you from your sin. God is good in dealing with our sin. And not only that, it's just Jesus Christ is our Lord and what? Savior. It's, it's in the name. It's in the title, right? It's what He does. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 is on your hand out there. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus faced every type of temptation. 
like we have. We fail. But because of Him, we can have confidence to go to the throne of... What's it called? It's, oh, it's not earned? It's not, it, is it the throne of bartering? Hey, God, if you do this, I'll do this. No. Grace. Free gift. And find mercy. Mercy. What a God. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Beloved, if you're, if you're in sin right now, confess it to God. Trust the consequences to Him. He's fair. And He's merciful. And He's gracious. If you're living in sin right now, the real question becomes, do you believe that God is good in dealing with your sin? If so, take it to Him. He is the Savior. It's what He does. Do you believe His judgment will be fair? Do you believe that God will provide hope for today? Do you believe that God provided Christ as your Savior from your sin? Do you believe that God has a better eternal rest for you that won't be tainted with sin? Oh, beloved, God is good. Repent of your sin. Confess it. Trust the consequences to your good God. You didn't follow Jesus into your sin, but you can follow Him out. He will save you. It's what He does. God is good in dealing with sin by by providing salvation through judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I pray that Your people will see this morning that You are good and that You are good in dealing with our sin. Oh, I hope they will see that they are terrible, that we are terrible at dealing with our sin. And that you just desire us to confess our sin to you, to repent of it, and to receive mercy and grace from you, to live our lives for your glory. Father, there may be some here this morning that they have lived in rebellion and they need to repent of their sin and trust Christ as their Savior. I pray that you'll open their eyes this morning to the glories of Christ and the depths of their sin. And I pray that you will save them. Pray that they will call out to you in repentance and ask for your forgiveness and for you to take over being the Lord of their life. And then, Father, there are some here who are living in sin and they are prideful, Lord. I pray that you will humble them, help them to see that you will be fair and just and kind in dealing with their sin. And I pray that they will humble themselves and come to you and ask for your forgiveness and trust the consequences to you. And then, Father, there are others here this morning who are weak. They're struggling. They they wrestle with sin, but they haven't given in. Father, I pray that they will be strengthened by your word this morning. That you are a good God. And you're good in what you command. And you are good in what you forgive. And that they will resist the devil. They will turn from temptation. and Be strengthened by your spirit, that they will run to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Father, we are your people. We thank you so much for providing salvation through Jesus Christ. May he be glorified by our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.